guys to know that your support, your generosity, it goes a long way and it's making a difference in the community. Well, I love hearing the stories. I love seeing the pictures of the way that you are living out our mission as a church, that you're loving each other. You're simply loving people where they are in your communities. It's been great uh, seeing many of you as you've dropped off food at our Apex campus where I've been hanging out, but that's been happening across all of our campuses. Uh, I've loved chatting with many of you online during our services. Let me just remind you, though, that uh, texting during church will not be an option when we're all back together again. But for now, we're, we're going to allow that. Hey, we really do hope that you're doing well. I want you to know that our entire staff, our entire team, that uh, we are praying for you and that we're in this journey with you. But it's definitely not a coincidence that ever since they took friends off of Netflix that it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or, or even your year. And so we know at least we're part of the blame for all of this maybe has to go. I've had uh, a lot of people asking me how's Canada handling the quarantine and uh, uh, just want to give you an update. We've given up on the Summer Olympics. We've already moved on to the Winter Olympics. Our uh, hockey team is already practicing. We've got some video uh, of that happening. Uh, you can see that they're practicing in isolation and, uh, and so that's a great thing. They're young. We start them there. They're doing well. The dryers, not so much. Our curling team is also uh, cleaning up, and uh, that you, that'll, you'll get that later. You pray for Laura and Ty. They're trapped in a house with me and all kinds of dad jokes. Um, they have been for, uh, for several weeks now. But uh, really, for Canadians to be trapped in their houses for weeks at a time, it's really no big deal. We call that winter, and so we've been training for this whole quarantine thing for our entire, entire lives. So uh, last week, Mike did an incredible job and he talked about the power of the Sabbath and of rest. We kind of felt guilty, and so uh, we decided we should give him a week off. But as you can see, uh, we chose to not give Neil a week off. In fact, I think Neil is sheltering in place here at the Apex campus, and so uh, we're so glad to have Neil here with us again today. But really the plan was always to uh, take a break from our Ten Commandments series. Mike is going to pick that series back up after Easter, but we wanted to have a weekend where we could kind of set up and get ready for Easter and let let me just remind you, Easter is happening next weekend. Now, it's not going to be exactly the way that we had had planned when we were all going to be together live, but we are so excited about what we have planned for that online experience, and, and we want you to be a part of it. In fact, I'm still pushing for this, that maybe there's an opportunity to uh, uh, have uh, some pictures of, of Mike in bunny ears, maybe a contest, give away some prizes. We'll see if that'll go through or not. But, um, but here's the big deal. We really need you to invite your friends and be a part of this. We know all of your neighbors, they're done watching Tiger King. They're looking for something else to watch. And so uh, I can't think of a better thing for them to be a part of than being with us during our online Easter experiences next weekend. Now, before we get to Easter, traditionally, this is what the weekend that we call Palm Sunday. And this was really Jesus, it was the final week of his life. We're going to see that, that really Jesus had the entire week planned out. In fact, everything that Jesus did, he did on purpose. And so this Sunday, over 2,000 years ago, is the Sunday where Jesus uh, entered into Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he came in on the back of a donkey, and there was a crowd that had gathered around, and they began taking off their jackets and their, their palm branches. They were laying them down in front of Jesus as he rode in, and it's referred to as the triumphal entry. In fact, 
In Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, it says this, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. And literally that word means save us now. And so you can get a sense of the desperation that the people were feeling to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this crowd that had gathered, they were believing that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem as their new king. He, they believed that, that Jesus was coming in to set them free from Roman oppression. What they didn't fully understand was that Jesus was actually coming in to set them free from something so much bigger, something so much more significant, and not just for them, but for all of us. He was coming in to set us free from our sins. See, Jesus was focusing more on the internal. The crowd was focusing more on the external. And so it's called the, the triumphal entry, but really what this is, is it's Jesus' first step towards his sacrificial death on the cross for us. And so let me give you the timeline for this last week of, of Jesus' life. On Monday, it says that Jesus wept over the brokenness of the people in Jerusalem and that he came in and he cleansed the temple for the second time. Jesus was kind of tossing some tables. He was, he was frustrated with the way that they were treating God's house. On Tuesday, Jesus did some more teaching. And then Judas, one of his disciples, one of his close followers, he began his journey to betray Jesus. On Wednesday, there's nothing officially recorded for us. It's kind of known as, as silent, a silent day. And then Thursday, Thursday was a big day. Thursday is where Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples, with his closest friends. It's where Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. It's where Judas shows up and, and he, he betrays Jesus. He is arrested. He begins the first of, of six illegal trials that happened Thursday night and early into Friday morning. And, and this is where Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, actually denies him three different times between Thursday night and Friday morning. Friday... Friday is Jesus' death and his burial. And then Easter Sunday is when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But there's something interesting that happens in, in the middle of, of this week, right? This final week, in the middle of, of everything that's going on and everything that's, that's kind of laid out on purpose, there's this little side story. In fact, it's, it's kind of an interruption to the Easter story. It's an interruption to, to what it is that Jesus is about to do for all of humanity on that cross. And it seems kind of small and maybe even at the time insignificant. But here's the deal. It's, it's in all four of the Gospels. And so this little story, it's, it's actually a, a really big deal. It's big enough that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all needed their audiences to know the significance of this. And I want you to remember something, that, that if you find something in the Bible, it's there for a purpose, right? There's always a reason for it. It's an important reason. And so this story is in all four of the Gospels of Jesus. It's during his, his last day on earth. And there's a reason why God wanted it to be in there. And I think that that gives us enough reason to, to really look into this and to have a clear understanding of how this applies to our lives as well. And so if you have your Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. You can also follow along on this app. There's a, a Bible app that's included there, and you can follow in the notes section as well. But if you're new to the Bible, let me just kind of unpack this and set this up for you while everyone is turning to Matthew 27. 
There were four different men, four different authors that uh, wrote about the life and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. And in the Bible, these are called the Gospels. Now, some of these authors, some of these men were with Jesus at the time, and so they saw firsthand the account of Jesus' life. Some of them uh, took the stories of others who had been there, and they wrote from their perspective. They all wrote to different audiences, but they all had very specific purposes in what they wrote. But all four of these authors, they give us the the full life of Jesus, and and they all wrote about this story. In fact, there's only a handful of stories in the Gospels that made it into all four accounts, and yet this is one of them. And so we're going to take a look at this story from um, from Matthew's account, but I'm going to also add in at different times some other details from some of the other authors so that we have a full understanding of what's happening. Now, Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 11, says this, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priests and and the elders, he, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Now, let me just pause here for a second and and set this up. Jesus is in the final of his six trials, and this is early Friday morning. Pilate is the the fifth governor, and and he's in the Roman province of of Judea, and he's under uh, the, the leadership of Emperor Tiberius. And so this is a real guy. This is real history. You can look it up. This actually happened. And Pilate really doesn't know what to do with Jesus. See, Jesus in this trial, he doesn't defend himself. Jesus doesn't act like like anyone else that Pilate has ever seen on trial before. And there's a reason for that. You see, Jesus knew why he was there. Jesus knew exactly what it was that he was doing in this moment. Jesus had no reason to try and prolong his trial. Jesus had no reason to try and save his own life. He knew that his time had come for him to go to the cross and for him to give his life to save the world, to be the solution to the problem that that was created, that we created all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so even though Pilate here has the title of authority, what we see is that Jesus is really the one in charge throughout this entire thing. And so Pilate decides to try and use a, a loophole to set Jesus free. And so each year during the Jewish Passover celebration, Pilate had made it a custom to release a prisoner that they had requested. Now, just to be very clear, this is not a democracy, but Pilate chose to give them a choice to try and make the relationship better, at least for one day during the year that that maybe they would like him a, a little bit more than they normally did. And so here, Pilate sees an opportunity to really to avoid responsibility for the death of a man that he perceived to be absolutely innocent. In fact, when you study the Gospels, what you will find is that on seven different occasions, Pilate declared that Jesus was not guilty. And so Pilate here, he offers a guy that he really is confident that the people are going to choose over Jesus. Verse 17, and so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew that it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. 
See, the, the criminal that Pilate offered, his name was Jesus Barabbas. And the name Jesus was actually a, a fairly common name uh, back in the day. And, uh, and so his name literally means son of the father, right? Of an earthly father. And I'm not sure that Pilate really understood the, the spiritual significance of the choice that he was giving to the Jewish people. He, he was giving them the choice between Jesus, the son of the father, and Jesus, the son of God. Now, there's a couple of other things that we know to be true about Barabbas as well, and, and it's this. He was a, a notorious criminal. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, verse 7, it says, A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. See, Barabbas was a, he was a part of a rebellion against the Roman government. Barabbas had, had taken a life at, at some point in that uprising. Barabbas is now sitting on death row because he was a rebel. He, he had led a rebellion. He had, had literally committed murder. In fact, it, it wouldn't be too strong of a statement for us to kind of put it in context of, of our modern day culture to really call Barabbas a, a terrorist. See, Barabbas deserved to be in prison. He deserved no hope of acquittal. He deserved to be put to death. He deserved to be crucified. And Pilate could see that Jesus was being framed. He knew that the Jewish leaders had arrested Jesus simply out of, out, of, out of envy for him. There was no evidence. There were no credible witnesses that had come forward to prove anything that Jesus had ever done wrong. And so Barabbas is standing here guilty of the crime that Jesus is accused of. And Pilate really thought that the crowd would favor Jesus, a, a, a popular teacher, over Barabbas, a convicted murderer. Verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, I want to pause here just for a second, because in this story that, that really seems to be an interruption in the, in the bigger story of Jesus going to the cross is an interruption from Pilate's wife. And Matthew, really, he presents another set of contrasts to us. First, he presented the contrast between two Jesuses, and now the contrast of would a man finally listen to the wisdom of his wife? And what we're going to see here, spoiler alert, is that Pilate actually didn't listen to his wife. She told him not to do this. In fact, when I told, when I told my wife Laura that I was teaching on Jesus and Barabbas, she said, oh, the story of the guy who didn't listen to his wife, right? And so uh, that's part of, of this story. Some of you men that are, are watching this right now, you were forced to watch this by your wives. I'm not saying that your wife is always right. The Bible says it, right? So you're just going to you're gonna have to deal with that. Actually, the contrast here that Matthew is, is presenting is, is really this. It's a contrast between Jewish leaders who are, are wanting Jesus' death and a Gentile woman who believes that Jesus is truly innocent. See, people— they placed a lot of, of importance on dreams. And, and I believe that God was sending a warning to Pilate through his wife, even though Pilate chose not to listen. Now, if we were meeting live right now, I know that I would see a lot of uh, wives elbowing their husbands in this moment, but maybe where you're sitting at home on the couch, it's a little too far apart. But I do want to free you up right now just to give an amen, wives, to that. But now, to your husband's defense, uh, let me just say this. This has been happening for over 2,000 years, and, and we blame Pilate for us not listening to our wives. Matthew 27, verse 20 says this. But the chief priests and the elders, they persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. 
I want you to picture this, right? That this trial, it, it's being held in public. And maybe the crowd that is now gathered around, maybe it's grown a little larger as, as news has spread of, of this trial that's happening. But the original crowd that is there is made up of these, these religious leaders that really had a set agenda, right? That, that were, were leading and initiating these illegal trials. And the people that they brought with them in that crowd were people that they had planted there. And so they're going through the crowd and they're persuading the people to call for Barabbas to be released and, and for Jesus to be executed. And faced with a, a clear choice, the people in this moment, they chose Barabbas. Let me ask you a question. Faced with that same choice today, who would you choose? See, maybe for some of us, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Maybe it's for you, Jesus, or a relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that, that isn't healthy. Maybe it's a, a friendship. Maybe it's a, a relative. Maybe, maybe a dating relationship that's not God-honoring. Maybe a, the context and, and the way that you're, you're living out in your marriage, you know that it's not something that's pleasing to God right now. Maybe it's, it's that you've put some other person in your life. You've made them more important than Jesus. And you have to make a choice between Jesus or that relationship. Maybe for some of you, it's the pursuit of a relationship. Maybe you started by trusting that God was going to bring you the one, but, but it just doesn't seem to happen over time. And so now you've kind of taken things into, into your own hands. You've kind of swiped left on Jesus so that you can swipe right on, on somebody else. And maybe you have to make that choice. For some of us, it's the choice between Jesus and, and our job or our career or maybe our school, or maybe it's just the pursuit of those things. What is it that takes most of your time? For many of us, the first thing that we do when we wake up is we check our email, we check our, our portfolio, we, we think about the things that we created or what it is that we need to create that day instead of spending time with the one that created us. Maybe for you it's Jesus or your physical appearance, maybe it's Jesus or your bank account or, or Jesus or how many likes you get. See, the choice that the people in that crowd 2,000 years ago had is the same choice that you and I have to make today. What will we do with Jesus? Verse 21, which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Well, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked, and they answered, crucify him. Why? What, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. See, Pilate asked the crowd, what, what do you want me to do with Jesus? In fact, Pilate even gave them another option, another way out. In, in Luke chapter 23, verse 16, Pilate said, what, what about this? What if I just punish him and then release him? Right? I mean, I could have him flogged and, and then we could just let him go. It, would that satisfy you? But over and over the crowd began replying and shouting louder and louder, crucify him. Now, I want you to imagine this scenario with me. As I talk this through with Mike and in his journeys to Israel, uh, where this trial would have taken place and, and where Barabbas would have been in his cell in Antonia's palace, it, it wouldn't have been a, a significantly far distance. And so I want you to imagine this with me, that Barabbas is, he's far enough away that he can't hear Pilate, but Barabbas' cell is close enough that he can hear the yell and, and the response of the crowd. 
If you've ever lived near a, a high school or, or near a college uh, during, a, during a football game, you, you understand uh, kind of what this scenario is like. Our, our first couple homes that we owned here in Apex, the first was near Apex High School and the second was near Apex Friendship High School. And, and when football games were happening, if, if we weren't at that game or we just hadn't made it to it yet, we couldn't hear the individuals. I could never hear the, the coach yelling to the defense. I could never hear the quarterback calling an option or an audible. But what I could hear over and over again was the crowd as they got louder, as they, as they cheered for a first down, as they, as they chanted during a turnover, as they celebrated during a touchdown. See, and I bet the, the same is true here for Barabbas. See, I don't think he could hear Pilate when he said, which of these two do you want me to release? But I bet he could hear very clearly the crowd yelling in response, Barabbas! Barabbas! And I... I don't know that he could hear Pilate when he said, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus the Messiah? But I think he very clearly heard that crowd yell, crucify him, crucify him. See, all Barabbas heard that Friday morning was this crowd that was yelling, Barabbas, crucify him. Barabbas, crucify him. And I bet Barabbas was sitting there thinking, this is it. I had no idea that last night was my my last meal, I, that I've seen my last sunset and my last sunrise, that I'm literally a, a dead man walking. I want you to imagine Barabbas as he's sitting in his cell and hearing the shuffling of the soldiers as they're coming closer to get him, hearing the sound of them fumbling through the keys to find the right one, that key going into the lock and tumbling around until he hears a click and, and the door swinging open. For Barabbas, as he's walking in chains toward Pilate, and, and, and I don't know exactly what it is that he's thinking, but, but I have to believe going through his mind is that this is it for me. And I wonder if he's wondering, will I ever see my family again? I wonder if he's questioning whether everything that he had done was worth it. If he could only have a do-over, if he could only go back and, and change the decisions that he made. I wonder if maybe even in this moment, if he's crying out to God to have mercy on him. See, in that moment, Pilate stood, or Barabbas stood in front of Pilate, and he looked directly into the eyes of Jesus, and he had no clue what was about to happen to him. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. See, instead of releasing Pilate, or instead of releasing Jesus, Pilate, instead, he gives in to the pressure of the crowd. He washes his hands of the responsibility, and instead of doing what's right, Pilate simply does what's popular. But here's the truth. This no decision is a very clear decision. In fact, you don't get to ever just wash your hands of Jesus. See, Pilate, he was only going to release Jesus if it benefited him, if there, was no, if there was no cost involved for him. When I read this story, I, I understand that tension because I feel that tension all the time. I live in that tension all the time. I want to do what's right until it costs me something, right? I, I want to follow Jesus and, until, until what it costs me is, is more than what I'm comfortable with. I want to follow Jesus until it costs me my reputation or my salary, maybe my status or my position or my popularity or, or maybe, even, maybe even my friendships and relationships. C.S. Lewis said this, Pilate was merciful until it became risky. 
See, our beliefs are only as good as our actions. It's easy to believe in something until, until the risk becomes so great that you really have to evaluate, am I really going to act out on that belief or not? You know, Pilate, he wasn't the only one that missed what was going on here in, in this moment because the crowd missed it too. And they're yelling out, let Jesus' blood be on us. We'll take responsibility. We'll take the curse on ourselves. And they missed what Jesus was doing here. What Jesus really wanted was that the power of his blood shed on that cross to be on them to set them free. They were taking responsibility on themselves. And Jesus said, no, no guys, that's not what's happening here. I want to set you free from that responsibility. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. See, here's the bottom line, is that God treated Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Could you imagine being Barabbas? I mean, standing face to face, eye to eye with Jesus. As the soldiers take those handcuffs off of you, knowing, knowing how guilty you are, knowing that you have been proven guilty, knowing that you took someone else's life and now watching Jesus as he is escorted away in your place, absolutely innocent, as you watch God go and give up his life for everyone. I love the explanation that John Stott has. He, he wrote this, For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. So what do you think the rest of Barabbas' life was like? I wonder, right, how, how his story finished. Do you, do you think he went back to his old ways? Does he, does he start terroristing again? I don't know if that's even a word, right? But is he calling up the old gang? Is he saying, guys, I'm out. Let's get together tonight. We've got to do something. Or, or maybe is it a completely different response? I wonder if he reaches out to his mom and says, Mama, I'm not sure what just happened. I just looked into the eyes of God Mom, God is dying for me right now, and, and I've, been, I've been set free. See, we don't know exactly what happened to Barabbas. He's not mentioned again in the Bible. He's, in fact, not mentioned again anywhere in history. There's many different theories if you, if you Google them, but, but let me ask you this question. Do you, think, do you think Barabbas' encounter with Jesus changed him? See, I wonder. I wonder if Barabbas stuck around for the rest of, of Jesus' trial. Uh, frozen in place, not able to go anywhere, just, just stunned by what it was that just happened. I wonder if, if Barabbas was standing in the streets on the Via Della Rosa as Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha. Maybe, maybe Barabbas stood unknowingly next to Mary and watched Jesus take his last breath on that cross. Maybe, maybe Barabbas was a part of the 3,000 people that said yes to following Jesus in Acts chapter 2 when, when the church was established for the very first time. See, we don't know the rest of Barabbas' story, but we do know two things. One is that God treated Jesus like Barabbas so that, so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Remember a couple weeks ago, Mike told us that, that we could substitute our name into John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that we could change that to for God so loved Donnie. Well, we can do the exact same thing with this statement, is that God treated Jesus like Donnie deserved to be treated, so that he could treat Donnie like Jesus. And the same is, is true for each of you. Here's the second thing that we know, is that we have the same choice to make today that Pilate and then that crowd had, 
And it's this, what will we do with Jesus? See, your story, whatever it is, how, whatever you've done, however far away from God you may feel as you're watching this today, the story that you started this service with is not, it doesn't have to be your story as you leave today. Let me give you two questions, two things that I want you to wrestle with today and, and this week as we head into Easter. Here's the first one. It's this, what is your response to Jesus? Remember I said at the beginning this story really felt like an interruption in, in the story of Jesus going to the cross. You know what? I, I think I was wrong. In fact, this story is the perfect picture of what it is that Jesus was about to do. That's why this story was included by all four gospel writers. It's because this story is the gospel. It's not just for one man. This story represents everyone that has ever existed. See, Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus' substitutionary death, it, it was the purpose for him coming to earth to take the place of, of not just one condemned man, but to take the place of everyone who stands condemned before God's perfect standard of justice. See, it wasn't Pilate that set Barabbas free, and, and it wasn't the crowd by chanting that set Barabbas free. It was the, it was the love of God that set Barabbas free. When I read this story, I have an understanding of who Barabbas is, because I am Barabbas, right? I mean, this is my story. I've said so many things in my life that, that I regret, so many things to Laura, to Ty, to other people, that, that if I could take those things back, I would in a heartbeat. I have done so many things that I absolutely regret, that, I, that I'm not proud of. My lust and my greed and my pride and my selfishness has taken over at times, and I've let it take over, and I've hurt people, and I would do anything to have a do-over and to go back again. I know that I don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm Barabbas. And see, you're Barabbas too, because this is your story as well. But you know what? As I was reading this story last week, I, I realized something. God loves Barabbas. And I know we read this and, and, and you want to maybe say, but, but he was such a bad man. And, but God would respond and say, yeah, I, I know, but I love him, right? He, he's not too bad for me to love. And we might look at that and say, but God, what about the list, right? I, I mean, he, was a, 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 uh, he rebelled and, and he murdered. He was, a, he was a terrorist, God. And God says, yeah, I know the things that he did, but that's, that's not who he is. Right? Those things don't define him. He's my creation. I made him. I have a purpose for his life. And he is not too far gone for my love. In fact, that statement that God would say about Barabbas is, is the exact same statement that he would make for you and, and he makes for me today. So we don't know the rest of Barabbas' story. We don't know if he ever acknowledged what God did for him that day or not. But we do know the rest of God's story. In Romans 5.8, it, it says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not based on anything that we could ever do to earn it, but because simply we're not too far away. That, that you're not too far gone, that you've never done something that, that God isn't willing to say, I will forgive that. The story of Barabbas and, and his release from condemnation, that's, it's really the story of every single believer. And I wonder if Barabbas ever got over that moment of watching Jesus carry his cross, right? Or, or was that etched in his mind and in his heart for the rest of his life? See, in, in Romans 6.23, it says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all stand guilty before a God deserving death, but, 
But then, not because of anything we did, Jesus shows up. Jesus steps in and Jesus died in our place. Jesus, the innocent one. He took my, he took your, he took our punishment for, for what it is that we deserved. He took our place. And like Barabbas, we're allowed to go free with, with no condemnation in our lives. See, two Jesus were presented to that crowd 2,000 years ago. The son of a father and the savior of the world. And just like that crowd, just like Pilate, just like Barabbas after he was set free, we have a choice that we have to make today. Because God treated Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Will you bow with me as we pray? If you've never accepted the free gift of, of God's mercy, of God's love, of his grace in your life, and, and today, today for the, maybe for the very first time, you say, you know what, I, I need that relationship. I want that relationship with Jesus. And it's very simple. Would you just pray this prayer with me? It's not a, there's nothing special about these words. Just, just where you are, you can do it just in the quiet of your heart, or, or you can pray it out loud in your living room or wherever it is that you are. But just pray this with me. God, I realize today how much I need you. And I'm asking you to save me. I acknowledge my sin and I accept the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for accepting me as I am. God, thank you for forgiving me and setting me free. See, that's it. It's nothing that you need to do because Jesus has already done it for you. For many of us, as, as we're listening today, You've said yes to Jesus, but the truth is that you're still stuck. You're still living in, in some kind of prison. And maybe it's, it's some habit. Maybe it's some temptation that you just have so much trouble saying no to. The, the lack of self-control. Maybe it's an addiction in your life that, that has control of you. Maybe for some of us, it's a, it's a relationship. You just can't forgive what that person did to you. Or maybe what you've done, you're just walking around carrying the, the weight of the shame and, and the guilt because of it. For some of us, it's our insecurities, it's our, it's our doubts, it's our fears, whether it's related to this virus or, or the financial state of our country and our world. Whatever it is, you, you feel imprisoned. There's something in your life that's controlling you. And you've tried everything, but, but no matter what you try, maybe it works for a little while, but it, it doesn't last and, and, and nothing ever works in, in actually setting you free. Your, your efforts don't work, your, your goodness isn't enough, your devotion to things, it, it just doesn't fix the problem. And here's why. The problem is because that's the opposite of the gospel. Jesus has already taken care of whatever it is that you need to be set free of. He's already forgiven you. The chains are gone. Father, we just say thank you. God, thank you that 2,000 years ago you loved Barabbas. You loved me. God, that you loved every single one of us enough to say that we weren't too far gone that we're not defined by the things that we have done in our lives. Jesus, I thank you for taking my place. I thank you for taking our place, for giving your life so that we could be forgiven, God, so that we could be set free. Would you help us to live in that freedom this week? We love you. We pray all this in your perfect and powerful name. Amen.